if you're on the fence and should I stay or should I go, should I mend or should I end? If you're not in danger, stay, stay and stop focusing on him and totally focus on yourself. Hello, hello, and welcome to House of Low. I'm Lo, and I am on a mission to create safe spaces to help every single woman on this earth feel her power, live from her truth, find her magic, and discover a love for herself so deeply that it opens her up to love others, step into her purpose, and live life abundantly. I'm so excited you have found your way here. Thank you for joining me. Here we go. Ooh, this episode, (laughs) it's going to be good. I'm very excited. Well, today's tea is on breakups that lead to breakthroughs. And I know a lot of people have been going through a lot of breakups this year. And so I'm really excited to welcome Karen McMahon, who's the founder and CEO of Journey Beyond Divorce. And she helps so, so many people work through challenges they're having in their current relationship, determining if the right move is to move forward without each other or with each other. And we have not had this conversation yet on the podcast, and I'm very excited to welcome you, Karen. So thank you for being here. Thank you, Lauren. I'm excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah. And I would love for you to give a little background on what led you into this work. Yeah. I married late in life. I was 34 years old when I married. And so I thought I knew, you know, what I wanted and what I didn't want. And it was seven years later that the marriage really was obviously rocky and 14 years before I was completely divorced. And so I found myself in what I would refer to as a high conflict marriage where there was a lot of contention after divorcing. And the transformation, the breakthrough that I went through, through a three and a half year, really difficult divorce, I just knew that there had to be something more important that I had been put on this earth to do. And it led me into life coaching, into relationship coaching, and ultimately into working a lot with men and women navigating breakup and divorce. Hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that one of the toughest experiences to ever go through in the human experience, I am sure. And I know there's a lot of complicated relationships these days, situationships, that's like my new favorite word. And a lot of people I think are navigating this time on earth where the consciousness is rapidly elevating. Yes. We're all being asked to look deeply at every relationship we have especially the very intimate ones, but everyone, you know, including the relationship with our family, our parents, our siblings, our friends, our business collaborations, but of course, intimate and romantic partnerships bring up the most in us, you know? And so I would love for you to kick us off with kind of starting at the end and then we'll back up with all that you've learned and all the people you've worked with through many unique situations where do you think we're being asked to go when it comes to like building a conscious relationship, actually creating one and calling in a partner that can really do that with you? Like, what's your perspective on that? I'm curious. Yeah, it's such a great question. I have a podcast and one of my series that I do is Voices of Celebration, and we're never celebrating divorce. Right. 
we're celebrating what happens to a human being when they enter the vice of divorce, that painful fire of refinement. And then this is the worst thing that happened and I'm devastated and I'm losing her, or I'm losing her and I'm afraid of all of these things. And then through this catalyst, what emerges on the other side is human beings who over and over again say, I can't believe I'm speaking these words, but this was one mm. of the best things that ever happened to me. And the reason it's one of the best things that ever happened to them was because all of their focus was on their relationship with self. Yeah, And we can't go out and have an intentional, conscious, lovely, fulfilling relationship with another human being until we do that work of what did I emerge from my family of origin with? What are my beliefs that limit me rather than expand me? What are my judgments that don't bring value to my intimate or other relationships? And so when everything that happens is an opportunity to go in and look at that relationship with self, brilliant things can happen. It's hard work. It's not easy. There's nothing easy about it, but the outcome is just brilliant. Mm, very well said. So beautiful. Let's start with what you see. I don't want to generalize, but I think I would be curious what you see the most in terms of the differences or the ways that men approach this or what their challenges are when these breakups happen versus what women experience during these breakups. Like, What are things you've learned with the people that you've coached and closely worked with that could help people listening on either side better understand their relationship with like breaking up and like separating and, you know, coming to the conclusion that it's not in alignment anymore. Right. Well, the first thing I want to say is the people who come to us at Journey Beyond Divorce have heard our message and align with it. And so it's a specific segment of the population. Yeah. And I want to preface that because so the men who come to us often have a lot of similar issues, like a caretaking might be a very big issue where they've given up themselves. They haven't necessarily lost themselves in the same way as the female client did, but they've given up. And so they're caring for and caring for and putting perhaps the wife and the kids before themselves to a fault. Men tend to be more comfortable with the financial challenge that they're facing and really afraid when it comes to the children, because especially if the father was the primary caretaker, that fear that they're going to be therefore judged and diminished in terms of parenting time. So things like that are different. I would say that there are people who are willing to look in the mirror and look at their part. And then there are people who are more apt to just look outward and blame the other. When people listen to our podcast, if they're the look outward and blame, they generally don't come to us that much. They at least have an understanding that I'm doing something wrong and I'm willing to look at myself. Yeah. And in that way, 
losing yourself in a relationship, I think is something that so many of us can relate to. You know, it's like how many of us have given up our passions, our hobbies and our time with our girlfriends or right because this other thing is like such a high, you know, this chemistry and passion and and I want to be with. And so that's great in a healthy relationship, but when the, the relationship starts to diminish and all of a sudden you wake up one day, this is what happened to me. And I looked in the mirror and I was like, who are you? Like, who the hell are you? And what happened to you? Like, I was just completely a shell of myself when I finally realized something is very wrong and I am playing quite the role in it. I know what his part is. I could wax on about his part, but boy, do I need to look at my stuff. Yeah. Oh, yes. The hardest thing to do. (laughs) I'm sure you're familiar with like the concept of mirroring and like people mirror back to us where we don't feel whole within ourselves and our triggers and our wounds from, you know, often our childhood. And I would be curious, is that an area that you work with people on in this process? And what are people's reactions to some of these things that they might know? Because, you know, I'm somebody and I'm in a community of people. We're doing a lot of this work like before we get into a relationship. And I understand what you're saying about the people that come to you. And in some cases, they're doing this work after. (laughs) And so that's a wild, I can't imagine that experience. That's wild. So when you start to show people these patterns, does it start to connect the dots for them a little bit? Yeah, there's two books I'd like to just kind of put out to your audience. One is a bit older. It's called Conscious Loving. Gay and Catherine Hendricks are the authors. And it's a brilliant book. And the other book is Getting the Love You Want. And that is Harville Hendricks, IX, and Helen Hunt. Both of them are couples. These books are brilliant and they're brilliant because they're similar. And one of the things that they point out is when we think we found our soulmate, we're attracted to something on a subconscious level that is so familiar. And familiar can be bad if you've come from a dysfunctional family. Familiar could be it feels like chemistry, but it's actually this fear and tension because you were raised in a family with a lot of conflict. And and of course, we all have our masks on. So it's not like I'm falling in love with this conflict-oriented individual. No, I'm falling in love with the guy who puts me on a pedestal and tells me how beautiful I am. But there's something, he's my soulmate. And what they say in this book is we are attracted to how do I put this best? Getting the love you want will explain how we're attracted to the faults of our parents that caused wounds Mm -hmm. on a subconscious level. And so they will say, Lauren, there's only so much work you can do on your own. And then you find the guy and you get into this relationship and some of your behaviors are connected to his wounds of his childhood and vice versa. And then when you're conscious enough to rather than blame and accuse to kind of hold the space and see the younger child in your spouse or your partner and leave some space for them to do their work and for you to do your work, that's where 
like just love gets so deep and brilliant. Mm, so true. It's so true. And a lot of people are, you know, it's like the coping mechanisms of detaching from what happened and what was modeled to us from our parents and their connection, their marriage, or people that grew up with divorced parents. I know that that creates a lot of challenging, limiting beliefs and patterns in relationship. So my next question really is, I guess when you're first meeting someone that actually that whole like mend or mend or end, mend or end, which is very great. That's a great phrase. What is the approach to determining if there should be mending or ending? Oh, I would say this is one of my most favorite questions because I get asked it all the time. And I'll have people who reach out and say, my husband told me he wants a divorce. I need to hire a divorce coach. And my first question is, do you want to mend or do you want to end? And let's say she says, I want to mend, but he's he's done. Sure. When we're unsure of which way to go, and even if the other person thinks that they know, to start with mending, number one, is more comforting for all of us, right? It's like, and unless you're in like a domestic violence situation, right. it's like the devil, you know, staying with the person, you know, they're buttons. They know know your buttons. When you use a decision to mend, to focus on you, not that you're not going to focus on the relationship, but focusing on yourself is front and center. And when people coach with us, and it could be what's your communication style, how well do you articulate what you want? Are you controlling? Are you a perfectionist? Do you tend to caretake? Do you take care of yourself? Like once we start finding out what are the ways in which you behave that have brought value to the relationship and those ways that haven't, that's the beginning of the mending is I'm really controlling. Okay, so I'm going to start working on my control. I expect him to read my mind. Okay, I'm going to start working on my communication and actually asking for what I want, not saying, you've been with me for 15 years, you should know. So when you start doing all of that, your partner is going to do one of two things. They're going to change their dance and start to move closer, or they're going to run away. Mm. And so when you start with mending, you take the, the excruciatingly difficult decision of should I stay or should I go off the table and you say, I'm going to stay for now and I'm going to work on myself and all the ways that I can see that my thought and emotional and action behavior in relationship isn't serving me. Even if you end up ending, you're so much further down the path. You know yourself better. You've begun working on yourself. You're going to be building your confidence. You're going to be developing a crystal clarity. And then all of a sudden that ending, you're ready for it. You're ready to begin that process. And so if you're on the fence and should I stay or should I go, should I mend or should I end? If you're not in danger, stay, stay, and stop focusing on him and totally focus on yourself. Yeah, well said. You know, I once heard that, and I really believe this, I think connection is rare. I think we're lucky if we connect, like to have real connection with someone is very rare because connection to me is a healthy balance between chemistry and compatibility. Most people, I think, 
are selecting a partner based on chemistry. And we all know a lot of it's about what do they do for me? How do they make me feel, right? Do they fill all the empty parts of me? And the compatibility piece is what is not necessarily there. And then over time, it shows, right? But then sometimes there's compatibility, like it's safe, it's comfortable, but there is no magic. There is no erotic nature. There's no surprise. So to me, I don't like to use the word perfect, but like this beautiful balance of both is what creates connection. What is your perspective on the selecting of partner? Like the selection process people go through when it comes to choosing a life partner and whatever that manifests in. Is there problems in the selection process itself about who we think is for us and who we think we're supposed to be with or then the subconscious things that are making us choose that? Because I think a lot of times people, their life partner that they end up with or that the universe tries to bring them together is someone they never thought they would be with. But that's the person that like they're meant for, you know? And so I know my generation is really going through this and I would just love to hear like what your perspective is on that. Yeah, I think that to your point, I just crested 60. So I'm in this generation where I was in my 40s before I started doing any conscious work. And I now have a 24 and a 26-year-old. And I am like so impressed with their level of emotional intelligence and conscious awareness. I was their parent. My mom didn't know any of that stuff. And so, yes, our younger generation... There's so much more awareness of self and willingness to slow it down and reflect. Right. There's so many challenges with uh, relationship. I was talking to my therapist last week and he said something so interesting. He said, Karen, it takes two years. It takes two years before the masks are off, the engagements are happening, the rubs begin and you're actually dealing with the person. And so many people commit well before that. Mm -hmm. And so we're falling in love, we're having great sex, we're partnering with the mask of somebody else who's partnering with our mask. And then at 24 months, they're about, according to my therapist, who's pretty brilliant, the masks come off and the rubs begin. And so one thing that he was saying was, when you can know that this feels really good and know that that's a time frame that if I'm going to commit and certainly commit for a lifetime, I need to give it enough time for reality to bubble up to the top. So I think that's one thing. The other thing is, and chemistry is dangerous. And when you're having wild, passionate sex, you're stoned out of your mind. And so you begin to forgive a lot of things that if you are clear-headed in your right mind, you might go, that we need to talk about that. That doesn't really align well with me. And so all of those things happen. And then to your earlier point, I've had numerous clients who knew, they knew while they were walking down the aisle that this guy checks all of the boxes. 
But love isn't a list of boxes and a lifetime partner. And so they ended up with someone who was a good provider and secure and this, that, and the other thing. But to your point, there was this huge emptiness because of that that need for compatibility and passion on top of everything else, chemistry on top of everything else. And so I would say... If you had to look at one thing, I would say, look at your communication. What are you afraid to talk about? What's important to you that isn't being spoken about? And what is your partner's willingness to talk? Having two young children or emerging adults, they'll tell me, oh, he said, if it's too hard, he's out. Relationships are hard. That's a really good red flag for you if it's too hard. Or as they began to talk, it's like, well, are you talking about, she don't want to talk about that. She said she was raised in a family where they don't talk about those things and she won't talk to me. This is good information. If you're not talking now, what are you going to do when there's two little babies running around and money's tight and sleep is lacking and slow it down, slow it down. And so when we start talking, it's like, what's your financial paradigm versus mine? What is your spiritual belief versus mine? What do you do when life throws you a monkey wrench and you're on your ass? Are you a pull yourself up by your bootstraps person? Like all of these different things that we can start learning about ourselves and our potential partner. And that really boils down to communication. I recently interviewed a woman, Susan Scott, She, years ago, I bought her book, Fierce Conversations, brilliant. It was written for CEOs and she kept being asked, like, what about intimate relationships? And so she wrote a book called Fierce Love. And she said, Karen, the conversation isn't part of the relationship. The conversation is the relationship. And I thought that statement was so powerful. What are the conversations you're having? Oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's so powerful. And, you know, I think communication is the biggest piece. I've made a lot of (laughs) mistakes in that. There's a lot of like, you're right, like when there is intense connection, there's a lot of things that we're very afraid to say. And like, there's a lot of unspoken cues that (laughs) never get acted upon. And I think that that's been a big learning lesson for me. And also for women specifically, I think the intuitive nudges we get, we bury them sometimes in those moments, right? And so, you know, I think also it's very challenging to meet somebody who really sees you, all of you. And a lot of us run for the hills. And I did that because if you, are seen fully by another, that means you cannot hide. And that means that you're going to be shown all of you in that mirror from that other. So how does that play out in how you coach people or teach people, you know, beyond some of these breakups where they realize that they were afraid to be all of themselves and to show all of themselves in the relationship? It's such a perfect point. And if you think about it, if you're out with someone that you don't care about that much, like you like them, but you're not like, you're not like smitten. 
it's so comfortable to say uh-huh. whatever you want to say. There's no fear. It's like, I got something to say. I have a different opinion. I'm concerned about that thing you did, like whatever it is. So number one, there's no fear of losing the no. other person. And so that's a really big piece of it. And then to your point, the intuitive hit, it's like we get an intuitive hit. And so I believe that we have two voices in our head, the soft whisper of intuition, which is our connection to God or consciousness or whatever your belief is. And then there is that amplified voice of fear. And the voice of fear, the way it was explained to me when I was going through my coaching program is fear has an agenda. Intuition doesn't. So fear is like, don't do that. Or you got to do that. Like there's something that we're grasping to. And we tend to listen to the loud voice. And one of the things we coach our clients on is the fear voice is very big when you're coming to us. And so it's about really dialing down the volume on that fear voice and and poking at it. It's just, it's so simple. It's a, the question is how true is that? Just keep asking yourself when your fear voice comes up, how true is that? And what else might be true? And then if you hear that soft whisper of your intuition, that's brilliance. That is divinity. That is our North star. And I think that as almost everyone that I know that grows in consciousness, part of what we're doing is we're finding that tuning dial to tune in, tune in. Because if I could just listen to my intuition, I'd be golden. Yes. Oh, that's it. (laughs) We could just end right there. But I feel strongly that, you know, one of the hardest lessons for any of us is we can't make other people do anything that they don't want to do. If they're staying in their fear, if they're only going to go into what's comfortable and familiar, and they don't want to explore beyond that, we can't make people do that. You know, because I think a lot of women, specifically in like heterosexual relationships, I think a lot of women are trying to get men to open up in a deeper way. and explore where they're uncomfortable. And there's a lot of resistance from men to do that. And that really is heartbreaking for women. And that's where I think there is, as we can see, a huge movement right now where there's a lot of people that are single for a long time. And they're not, they're not letting themselves fall into the trap of, again, we're looking for these partners to fill all the empty parts of us and it's not their job, right? And we do it very subconsciously. And then the universe will pull the rug out. This is what I believe spiritually. Any relationship that is not in alignment will eventually end big time. And the universe will pull the rug out from us. And it's like a tower moment, right? And it's like you said, all the paradigms come crashing down. And all of a sudden, you're like, who am I? And you to your point, looking in the mirror and I'm a shell of the version of me. I won't do that. I will take the risk of being alone for the rest of my life because I refuse to enter into a relationship with that intention. Fill the empty parts of me. Let me get lost in the passion, the sex. And I'm a very sexual person, but I'm not going to just share that with anybody. Like that to me is sacred. And 
I'm trying to lead by example in this as a woman in our culture where we're taught it's very sad. If you're not chosen, there's a huge void there to be chosen. I said this to a few men I've had on my podcast and they were like, damn, that makes so much sense that women are raised to be chosen. They don't understand that until they hear it. And they're like, whoa, you know? So I would offer to any man listening, when you choose a woman, just know that it's creating a lot of things in her. It's making her feel a certain way. And if she doesn't feel whole on her own, she will latch on to you. Yep. And I think men, it's different for them because they're raised more to choose. So there's this interesting dynamic, but of course men want to be chosen too. And so there's, there's a lot that's happening when it comes to a lot of paradigms crashing about like these gender roles. And, and that's where I want to end. I want to ask you about your perspective on masculine and feminine energy specifically, which we know we all hold both, but there's like more of a sexual essence where, you know, some of us can lean more feminine. Some of us can lean more masculine. I think most women would say that if they felt safe enough, they would want to settle into their feminine essence and men would want to settle into their masculine, right? But we know it's all flipped and there's this, it's very broken right now, right? So what's your perspective? Does that come up? Is it something that you think about and talk about? I know it's a highly spiritual concept. Yeah. And I love that you said it's energy. And so we have both. And my belief is we're meant to find that balance. We're meant to find, I mean, as women, we're going to have our feminine energy, but there's something beautiful about finding the balance in there and finding exactly who you are. And I think that as women, when we're not met and seen we tend to take it very personally as if it as if it's us like something's wrong with me and you know don miguel's four agreements like don't take it personally entering relationship it's it's such a brilliant rule that if your man isn't doing whatever if you're not feeling seen and heard and respected and loved that's not about you. That might be about your picker, but to not take personally how somebody else behaves. And how do you do that if that person is filling the emptiness? And so if we looked at two people, I'm full. You know, I've been single for a long time. I love my life. I have a deep set of girlfriends. I'm involved in my spiritual community. I love my kids. When somebody comes into my life, they're not filling a gap. And not that I don't deeply desire that, yeah. but I'm whole. There's there's a children's book, Shel Silverstein, and it's called, let me get this right, The Missing Piece Meets the Big O. It's on YouTube. It's a four-minute video. And it talks about how when you're whole, you're like a, a full pizza pie as opposed to a slice. And so you're looking for another whole person to roll next to. But what so many of us do is say, I'm a slice of pizza. I need to fit into somebody's hole so that I feel better about myself. I need to fill a vacancy. And that's where it all goes sideways. And I don't work a lot in masculine and feminine energy, so I'm not completely answering your question, but I'm addressing it from the angle that I see it, which is that that 
when you take the time as you have to say, I love, honor, and respect myself enough to be willing to wait for somebody who deserves me and I deserve them. And I think one of the things, the conclusions I came to, and so many women that I know is we feel like the lucky one. (laughs) And it's like, well, wait a second, why am I the lucky one? Why isn't he the lucky one? And so if you feel like the lucky one, there's your red flag. Because when you can fully honor who you are and what you bring to the table, then we get to a point where, boy, aren't we both really lucky? I don't think I ever felt that in any of my relationships. I think I always felt like the lucky one. And that informed the work I had to do. Wow. That is the perfect place to end. Thank you. That was really powerful. Oh, I'm so grateful for the work you're doing and for all the people that you're helping during this process and that are going through that process. And I love that. I love what you said before we recorded about how the word upset is. Can you say that for everyone? Yeah. In fact, it would be the final tip I'll leave you with is every upset is a setup for personal growth. Every time you're triggered, every time somebody pushes your buttons, if instead of looking out and assessing and blaming them, you go in and say, what is this button? What am I feeling? What is this about? And you do that in a work, then you get to use every upset to just heal and refine yourself to your, you know, your perfect character. Beautiful. Thank you, Karen. I would love for you to let people know how they can work with you and where they can connect with you. Thank you so much. And this is really quite a lovely conversation. Thank you. So the company is Journey Beyond Divorce. We have a podcast, Journey Beyond Divorce, and on social media, Instagram and Facebook. But we have a couple of free giveaways. So if you go to Journey Beyond Divorce to our homepage, there's a survival kit. There's an invitation to a rapid relief call. So depending on If you're looking for some additional support and seeing how we can do that, that would be a great place to go. Mm, I love it. Thank you so much for today. And I'm really excited to keep following along in all the work you're doing. So thank you for being here, Karen. And thank you for what you do. And this was terrific. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to House of Low today. I encourage you to keep going. Who you're becoming is on the horizon and who you are today is a gift. Never lose sight that you are worthy of all that you deeply desire. Love, love.